welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm the editor, Chris Eggett. It's been a little quiet here recently, but we hope to rectify that soon. For now, though, here's a preview of what's in issue 40. We speak to Isaac Childress about Frosthaven and the intrinsic complexity in the characters he's created for this outing. We also speak to Sean Altberg about his game Dungeon Degenerates, a Brock adventure game set out in lurid neon punk colours. We talk about the crunchy mechanics of the game and whether we should be reading games as mechanical toys or fiction. And finally, we speak to Ulrich Blum, the man tasked with bringing Minecraft to our tabletops. We discuss exactly how one would go about that and the current state of Eurogames. And now, Isaac Childress. Pretty much all the characters in, in Frosthaven is that they are more more advanced than than most of the classes uh, in, in Gloomhaven. It's just sort of, I don't know, it's just kind of like an evolution of maybe just my design specifically, but, you know, just, um, you know, I've sort of, I've given you simple classes, so now I just wanted to try out, you know, more interesting things. Um, yeah, so typically that will involve, like, extra planning, uh, you know, in, in the execution of that character, um, usually revolving around some sort of resource that they have to manage as well, and so... You know, it's just like this extra layer of of complexity there to to give you more to think about. So yeah, so the classes specifically, like the the banner spear, is just very focused on positioning, right? So she's kind of the tank of the group, has some shield capabilities and and melee attacks and stuff like that. But yeah, a lot of her attacks are focused on where my allies are positioned in relation to me and, and the enemy. Uh, and so you're trying to set up these kind of I call them like formations. Uh, and that, then that's like you have to have that formation in order to perform that ability. It's very focused on on, on getting that set up. Otherwise, you can't really do much um, on your turn. But but yeah, and then if you do pull it off, yeah, then it's going to do like more damage um, and have extra effects, you know, above like what a normal ability at that level would be able to do. So, and that was. Uh, that was an interesting character to kind of play test. It was probably like the hardest to sort of refine and get to where I wanted it to be. Cause like initially, like it just felt like too hard to, to get those set up. And it was just kind of like this bad feeling like, Oh, I can never do anything interesting on my turn. And so like I made like, I made the formations like a little easier to, to, to do and that also gave her like more ways to kind of manipulate where her allies were you know, sort of let them move around. And then she also like, gets to summon who she can just kind of move freely around as she wants um, until it kind of felt like good. Like, yeah, okay, I can pull this off. And I like feel really smart for like being able to pull it off. So it's, it's all about like giving players, yeah, that extra complexity. So yeah, when, when they do do something cool with it, like it feels that much better. And they pull off like these really amazing turns where everything sort of comes together and you know, something really cool happens. It's more challenging in the sense that it's more complex, yes. Uh, but yeah, I'm not like necessarily like making the scenarios harder than they were in the base game. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess I just approach it like, you know, in Gloomhaven, yeah, you, you started out and had, you know, sort of like these these less complicated characters and then as you progress and unlocked more characters, like they became more complicated. Uh, and here I just... Yeah, just have them all complicated. So it's not like uh, you're going to unlock characters that are necessarily like more complicated than the starting class. Like they're all just kind of 
relatively equal amount of complexity. I mean, obviously some are more complicated than others and like the complexity, I guess, just wasn't a consideration in like what the starting characters were. It was just kind of like what, what fits, um, for starting out and then like what characters fit for like unlocking and like how you unlock them. And that was just more of the consideration. And now, Sean Ulpak. Got the Void Witch who takes tons of drugs and goes into the Void. And the Void is like this this in-between world. And basically, um, the idea there is is that, I mean, these, these, these people, we're, the characters are all based on real people or real or archetypes of people that I've met and known and stuff. So basically, like, you know, that she's like based on the kind of girl that would constantly be on drugs and constantly tripping off of stuff but but in the game she also has real magic so the idea basically is that she's powered by drugs and and how out there she gets and then you know she's wandering around and doing that kind of stuff so i think that's actually a great way to 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 think about the characters is um they're all based off of like like um i was a street punk so a lot of the, a lot of the people that I knew growing up were street characters and those kind of weird people, and you could see their potential um, or their their wasted potential, I guess, is really the best way to put it. And so this game tries to um, imperson or empower those people because I really feel like they've been pushed to the margins of of, of reality um, these days, if if not back and back then also, but it's been more pronounced to me as an adult. Or as a responsible adult, big quotation marks. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. That yeah, you're talking about sort of empowering marginalized characters. Yep. Or marginalized types of people, and then also you've got this kind of thing where everything's kind of connected. Yes. This game like is just connective tissue to like pop culture all over the place. Not just pop culture. Sorry, culture all over the place. It's not like discerning about like highbrow lowbrow anything like that it's just what plugs in and the answer is yeah, every, it's very everything. much it's very like um it's funny like i found a niche for myself doing like lowbrow stuff but also like i'm very highbrow when it comes to my own my own like library in my house is very highbrow um but it's also got a lot of lowbrow stuff in it but but again like the main thing for me is i don't distinguish and i just kind of like what i like and absorb what I absorb, and there's there's not a lot of distinguishing or segregation of stuff intentionally. It's funny, like I feel like a lot of society these days is very niche and very um very interested in segregating everything else from each other, but I'm not. So it's like, I guess it's necessary, um, but it's also just a function of the way my brain works. I think. Well, I think it's quite refreshing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So how do players react to that? How, how do people play the game? How do, how do they feel about it? The reaction has been great. Um, I feel like, again, like there's people who just approach it mechanically. And they're not really getting it. There's people who see it as, a, as an experience and as a work of art. And they're totally getting it. And so they're like giving it very high ratings. And so there's, there's, it's got its whole cult and people who love it. It's like their favorite game and stuff. So that's great. Um, and again, there's people who totally don't get it, which makes sense also. But but the, for the for, as far as I can tell, for the people that understand where the game is coming from, 
it's like their favorite game ever. And it's basically being like for, I feel like um, for, it's weird because I still haven't even opened a box of Gloomhaven, but it gets compared to Gloomhaven the most. And um, I mean, people say that it's like a way more complicated version of Talisman um, from the 80s, I think. Um, but Gloomhaven is the main one that I hear comparisons to. And generally, like, the other comparison is like the Warhammer world, the medieval Warhammer world, not the future one, obviously. <laughs> but, um, which is definitely an influence, obviously. But, uh, but, uh, like, I mean, sort of like how, um, D&D is like a, a Bronze Age or, or whatever. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have a distinct, um, era that is taking place in. Um, this game takes place in distinctly like a late, late Renaissance Europe. So it has that f- flavor to it, um, which is b- basically informed by history. And, and my interest in that history was definitely also like it, uh, flavored by, um, by being into games workshop stuff as a kid. So it's weird. It's like they kind of go in and out on each other that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the ways the, uh, the, these influences are bouncing off each other. And yeah, I, I guess that again speaks to that sort of connectedness. Um, yeah, yeah. So, is it an RPG? No, it's it's RPG flavored. Like, basically, like we wanted to give people the the experience of playing a role playing game without having to play a role playing game, because they realized that role playing games are for a very specific kind of brain of people that like to tell stories in that certain way, and um, board games are easier for people to pick up in general. So I feel like also board games are obviously having a moment. So it made more sense to do a board game than it did an RPG. I mean, we'll probably release this as a RPG at some point, but not, not anytime recent, not anytime soon, I guess. I think also having an RPG mentality while you're playing helps, helps the storytelling in general or having an imaginative sense of you when you're going through the game helps a lot. Um, because again, there's people who get it when they play and they're, 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 um, I guess thinking more, more like, like the way you do when you read a fiction book, um, as opposed to an instruction manual, you know, I feel like it works better that way as a, as a work of fiction than it does as an instruction manual. And now... The blog, as I said, was was quite early in the process. Then I fiddled around with it a little, and then at some point it was just obvious, yeah, it's, it's got to be resources, obviously. So, okay, we get the resources there, and we spend them there. And then it just came a, became apparent that it's it's a super cool gadget. And now we need to tie one or two more things to it, so as it not being just a gadget. So to 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 uh, to give them a, a reason to be there, and and we tried quite a few things, but the moment I I said okay, let's just because the sc- at the same time the scoring system kind of evolved into more or less what it is now, and and it was uh, clear that it's, there's going to be three scorings. And and uh, I said, yeah, okay, just let's just tie it to that. 
and see what happens. And it, it, it immediately clicked. It, it was just so, in, so interesting. Um, do we, do we kind of, each time I took a block from there, I could decide, okay, I can, because you usually get the resources you need. It's the block is not as much about uh, limiting what kind of resources. I mean, sometimes obviously there's this situation, but not a lot. Um, but each time I'm, I'm asked, okay, do you want to take it from the top or from the bottom? And, and, and kind of, kind of, uh, we even once had, uh, an actual power of two cubes. And, and at once somebody took those, we had two, uh, uh, two scorings at the same, at the end of the same round. So this just got very, very interesting. I like elements where, uh, this kind of thing is put into players' hands. It's super dangerous. It's that's what went wrong with concrete. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and but if it, if it's working, if it's if it's uh, uh, not something players can exploit to like uh, an extreme, then it's I find it super interesting, especially because of the meta game that's created, and it's. Uh, it's one of those typical interactions that aren't just negative. It's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the, the, the current state of Euro games is, is, I tend to feel they are going a bit too much into a direction where we're just solving uh, the same puzzle at the same time at, at the same table, but that's about all the interaction we have. I mean, can be nice, but, uh, yeah. Um, I prefer it if there's some other, a bit more important uh, way of interaction between the players. That's not just, I just took your action slot, but let's, why don't you take any of the other 46 that are <laughs> I was joking with people that this is a Euro game. I mean, is this a Euro game? It's a game by Euro game. It's, 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 it wasn't set out to exactly, I mean, there was not like a, a framework uh, it became clear I mean first it was just a euro game <laughs> and then at a certain point uh, when reducing it down it's it it was uh, more the feeling of, of okay let's try and make the best gateway game we can let's let's shine in this this area and from what the feedback is we more or less succeeded Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, buy the magazine, pick up a subscription, or tell a friend. If you want to find us online, you can on Facebook at Tabletop Gaming Magazine, Twitter on Tabletop Mag, Instagram on Tabletop underscore gaming underscore magazine, or online at tabletopgaming.co.uk. Mm-hmm.